0: Love talk radio live from Washington DC it's quintessential listening poetry online radio now here's your host dr michael anthony ingram Welcome you to the program. My very special guest tonight is poet extraordinaire and short story writer Ahmad Al Ahmad, are you with me?
1: Yes, sir, I am.
0: It is good to hear your voice, my friend. Same here, sir. Same here. Yes. I know that you are a poet, you've written a number of books, Mm -hmm. chapbooks. You've been nominated for a Push Start Prize, Best of the Net. I did not know that you were a short story writer until we talked earlier. So tell me more about being a short story writer. What what inspired that?
1: Well, you know, as you know and everyone else will know, you know, when the COVID happened, most of us, like, lost our, you know, main jobs. And so technically we had to spend so many times home. So, you know, when I was spending so many times home, I decided to read whatever books that I have that I haven't read. Also, also like, you know, like, I was writing the stories that I heard about, the stories, you know, like, I witnessed. So then I was like, why not I share them in public instead of keeping them in my heart or keeping them on my papers in my bookshelf? So that's where the idea came out. So, you know, I was like, let me rewrite them in a shorter
0: format. Now, I have what I always want? have you
1: always wanted to write short stories? Well, to be honest
0: with you, you know, like,
1: I was not a big fan of writing stories because I I always had my thoughts on, like, poetry and poetry. But since when I wrote Bones for Mirage, people were always curious to know the stories behind every poem in this book. And that's where I actually got the main inspiration, you know, because most of the stories in the book are based on the true stories. So that's where I actually decided, you know, you know what? People want to know more about the stories. No problem. So that's why I actually started to write a book.
0: Wow, very nice. Well, please share a short story. I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Sure. So the first story I'm going to read called Rami Rami's Ball. So here we go. One day during the war, Rami was playing outside with children under the rain and smoke of the rockets. The sound of thunder and lightning was also present in the sky. Above, in the clouds, rockets and missiles flew by before falling to the ground. Rami and the children played outside simply because they never knew the meaning of death, while others grew nob to it. Meanwhile, their parents were shouting for them to come back home for their safety. Rami woke up injured. He realized that the children he played with were now dead bodies lying on the ground, lifeless. As rockets from above blew them to ashes, the nearby buildings were blasted to hits. He looked everywhere, clueless about what he should do. He only saw dead bodies and realized he was. his injuries were serious from the bomb that hit a few moments earlier. Ramidit was determined to look for his ball as it was his, the last thing he had done with those children. He started looking for his ball around all the dead bodies and eventually saw it nested between the rubble. Rami ran toward him, the woods, toward it. Sorry, with an innocent smile, kicked it far away and screamed, "Go!" The enemy troops heard him screaming and shoot him, as they were startled by his scream. The troops saw the ball that Rami had kicked and saw blood stains all over it. The enemy did nothing but laugh at the soldier who killed the and stole his ball. That's one story. Wow.
0: That was very powerful, Ahmad. Thank you, sir. Tell me about the title of the book, Buried in the Flowers.
1: Okay. Well,
0: you know, the title, you know, the first title that I actually
1: picked was, you know, We Will Sing Until We Become Coptic. That was the main title that I wanted to choose. But then a friend of mine suggested that maybe I should put like a vote on my Facebook page on whether the title should be. So, you know, like I put so many options, including the one I just said. And mm-hmm. my friend, he was saying like, oh, maybe you should try put berries in the flowers. And I was like, why? And he's like, it's shorter, it's meaningful. At first, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit clueless about it. But then when I saw the people were voting more for versions of flowers and when I did my research on it, I find it more meaningful than we will Sing Until it become corpses. The only issue I had with the first title was a bit too long. And you All know right. people would you know, like, with the long title, you know, people are you know, some people are kind of like, you know, they're gonna be like, oh no But burying the flowers makes the reader more like interesting to read and take a book and read like him on it to it, you know? So that's mm-hmm. what I'm finishing thing. And you know, burying the flowers Many people trip for it.
0: Please read another story.
1: Sure, no problem, sir. The Sound of Silence. Mustafa was nine years old. He was the only boy in his family to survive the war. And he was the only man to hear and recognize the Sound of Silence when he would count the stars in the night. When he looked up into the sky and saw the stars, he felt himself staring into the eyes of his brothers and his friends, who had all died during the long wars in his country. He told me about when he decided to become a boy responsible for his actions. He simply made the decision to go outside and walk to school, cross the street from where he lived. His parents had warned him about not going outside that day. So he left the house silently. The sights of the horrid streets terrified him. There were blood stains all over the walls and corpses on the sidewalks and street. The school his school gates were damaged and within the gates dead bodies lie the schoolyard. Most of us started hearing angel weeping and mourning over the families of the dead victims. Mustafa was both terrified and mournful. He would remember that day for his entire life. He became mute as the images of the war engulfed his mind and swallowed his voice. He decided to draw his entire life on a small canvas while using the colors he remembered from his brothers and friends' death. He died shortly after, as a child, having only memories from when he was only nine years old. You know,
0: as I was reading along with that story, you know, there is a poetic quality to your work. Is it easier to write poetry than it is short stories, or vice versa, or do you find that it's an equal, equal footing?
1: Well, it depends, like, what you write, because, you know, like, I can you know you know because you know like I can tell you like you know you know poetry for some people could be easy why because you know they love the you know they love the word you know like the meaning of words behind they love the depth of words but when you write stories you're not looking for choosing like you know what kind of words you're gonna choose or how the line would be looking you know you just want the readers to know what you're talking about but when it comes to poetry you want the you know readers to you know have his own dreams his own meaning. So, a poetry can have, a, you know, when you write a poem, it could have more than one meaning. But when you write a story, it have only one meaning.
0: Okay. Yeah, mhm. like, I would say meaning.
1: they're balanced.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, to me, I find they're both, like, you know, enjoyable to read and write as well.
0: Now, does writing... Energize or exhaust you as I read through the book, as I read the book, the stories mm-hmm. are so heavy in terms of feelings and or emotions and I just wondered, Wow, that's just a lot. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Writing short stories.
1: Well, I'm not gonna lie, you know, like when I wrote this book, you know it
0: made me depressed so many times, you know, like
1: I was feeling so much depressed to the point that, you know, Because you know, when you write those stories, you don't write them when you know, like you know, you're happy or you're playing video games. You need to have a special environment. You need to put yourself in a position when you can actually feel it so down to the point, you know, you can release all what you have inside of you, outside, you know, and get it and out through those thoughts and the story with it. Because don't forget, most of those stories are based on true stories. So when you, when I actually when I was writing them. It hurt me so much because, you know, I was even crying at some point because some of the stories, mm. I witnessed them. Like, you know, I actually heard people telling me, like, yeah, that was my brother's story or that was my mother's story, you know. So it's quite depressing.
0: It is. Now, do you come from a literary background? And the, the second part of that question is, what did you learn about – what did you learn growing up about writing?
1: Well, you know, like, for the first part of your question, it's like, no, none of my family is into the word of writing at all. Like, they, You know, they're not into the word of writing or reading novels or short stories or poetry. Like, I remember once I said to my mom, like, Mom, look, I read a poetry book. Are you interested? Do you mind if I read some poems for the book? And my mom, she was like, so simple honest, she's like, no, son, I hate poetry. So, <laughs> you see, like, nobody's, like, really into the word of writing. Reading, You know, they're more into reading like You know, like religious books Or, you know, like stuff related to religious stuff And the second part of your question is What I learned from writing I learned how to share my story Without hurting anyone You know, with my own words Because, you know, when you write You always You have the ability to change your words But when you talk Sometimes we can talk And we can hurt people Even though we don't use uh, swearing or anything you know so when you write your message becomes more powerful than when you actually share it and you talk it to people so when I sit around a group of people telling those stories they're going to look at me they're going to be like my god so you know those stories are so pointless but when you write them and you share them you don't know maybe one guy is going to find it kind of sad but maybe some other people will find them interesting and that's what makes me happy about
0: it you know mm. please share another story
1: Sure, no problem. Okay. So this one's called Rana Penis. That actually, I I just want to say something. This story, actually, the girl Rana, I met her in real life. Like, she was actually, you know, like, when I was shopping back home, when I went in the year 2019, you know, I saw this girl, and she was always there in the mall, and I asked my cousin about this. Like, who's this girl? Like, does she have friends? And then, you know, I decided to nail some of my money to her family. But then my cousin's like, wait, hold up. So I want to see her cousin who lives next door, who took the money and actually told me the whole story. And that's why I'm gonna show you the guys the story that's of Rana's story. Rana was eight, was an eight years old an eight year old little girl who didn't go to school. Her school was bombed during the war. One day she went out in the city street market and started asking people for coins. But all she was hearing were pennies. At sunset, she went to the bakery, brought up a loaf of old bread, and ran home. She loved and cared very much for her family. One rainy day, Rana went to Majid's drugstore, which is, by the way, Majid uh, is a very that, awesome man, very nice human being. Majid was a pharmacist nearby and felt that Rana was an innocent child. I was looking out for her parents' help. That day, Rana came to the store with no words. She reached into her pocket for some pennies. How can I help you today, Rana? Majid asked. I need a favor, sir, rather than help. Sure, but where, where is your father? He went out to buy fresh bread from the bakery. But since then, he never come back home. Oh God, I hope I'm really I'm I'm really sorry to hear that. Rana started to cry while taking out all the pennies she had in her pocket. She placed them on the counter and asked, "Will I will I be able to get the medicine to revive my mother who just died?"
0: Yeah you know, you shared that these are based on true life experiences. Have yeah. you ever thought or did you think about writing under a pseudonym to change your name? Well, well, yeah, most of them I changed their names,
1: you know. Like, I even changed part of the story, too. Because, you know, the, the actual story could be much more beautiful. So, you know, I tried to make it mm. less beautiful, but I, did, I guess I didn't do a really good job. You know, like, the story, I was still... Because, you know, like, I want to keep the the meaning of the story. Like if I'm gonna make it so less like beautiful, then the story loses its meaning. That's what I believe, you know. Yes.
0: Well, yeah. let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Sure. Mm. The title of the book is Buried in the Flowers. Please share another story, my friend. Sure, no problem,
1: sir. So this one uh called Roots of Depression. Uh the reason this poem has the related for depression, it explains to you like, you know, the hard life that, you know, young Iraqis who are in their young twenties or middle twenties who are, you know, who like forced flee outside of the country to seek for their dreams outside of the country. So this poem describes how life can be harder for them to live outside of the country. So here we go. Mohammed's parents meet and got married during the war. He was born during the same war a year after the end of the first war. Mohammed's brother, Loay, was born. They They lived near to where the enemy is from. The first war were exchanging dead bodies in cheap coffins. As a result, he gained depression from the scent of cats. He he heard the daily cries over the missing bodies that were never found, or the headless bodies delivered in large black bags. When the second war started, Muhammad and Lo'ai's fathers were obliged to fight.
0: A few months
1: after, he disappeared in action. Despite his disappearance, their mother still washed her beloved husband's clothes and always demanded God bring him back home safe. The boy never understood why she would cry weep whenever she remembered him by the moonlight or under the sunshine. After the second war, their mother would not talk about it, as if she believed the war was not yet over. Sadly, Louay Mohanet watched their mother's death. She was still certain that Lulu's tomb was her husband. Sorry. Even though it was labeled as not known, she seemed that it was him. It was his. Sadly, nobody believed her words. Instead, they thought she was having a hard time accepting her husband's death. The community and his family continued to ignore her until the moment she ended her prayer and fell on his tomb. Through tears, she asked Mohannad to take care of Lu'ai and then Luke took her last breath. With no emotions, Lu'ai looked at Mohannad and said, If we stay in this country, we will always be known as the war survivors. Maybe our mother's death is a sign for us to live in another country where we feel like valuable valuable souls and not some dogs on the streets. Mohamed Ndoué learned that nothing in this country was worth living for as they were unable to find jobs, they lost their dreams of earning degrees from their, their university. Their, their emotions grew up whenever they heard about the death of one of their friends in battle against extremist groups. Those they learned to work through difficult situations. They were rejected from marrying because they were poor. louis proposal to a young woman was rejected by her parents due to his beliefs and his family background. They traveled to Sweden, where Luay became an alcoholic and was more miserable than ever. One day, Mohammed and Luay were walking back home from the bar on the corner of the streets. Luay said, why can't I live without being homesick for a country that's banished my parents and my sweet dreams? It almost seemed like a poem that he wished to share with Muhammad since he was like their father who had never loved poetry. However, the language of war is always louder than any civilian interest.
0: Wow. You know, this is a call in show and the call in number is six four six seven eight seven one six Three one, and we have a caller. i like to bring oh my you to another yeah. that's Okay. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right, all right. Area code six zero four. The first three numbers are eight nine seven. You're on the air with Ahmad. How are you tonight?
1: I'm fine, thank you very much. How are you doing?
0: I'm quite well. And yourself?
1: I'm I'm doing wonderful. Thank you.
0: Good. You have a question for Ahmad.
1: No, 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 no. I just wanted to listen to from um to Ahmad, um read his lovely work. I've been a big fan of his work from since I first um came across his writings on a website.
0: Oh, i am actually
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm actually holding a copy of this book because um I, I guess it's because of the 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 format the radio format i'm having difficulty hearing some words so i just read yes. along along yeah well, so fantastic. It's perfect
0: fantastic i'm so glad you're with us tonight thank you for calling
1: yeah you're welcome
0: all right Amar, did you hear the nice exchange I know, I'm so happy. I have know how much I'm finding right now. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm glad you're smiling, my friend. I'm glad you're smiling. Your writing is thank incredible. You, you. Incredible. What do you think is the most difficult part of your artistic process of writing? What's the most difficult part?
1: Uh, I would say, you know, getting the piece done without, like, you know, getting the piece done and make it sure that it's actually readable, enjoyable, and meaningful. Because, you know, I can easily write you anything, like poetry or a story or a novel, but it could be missing. Because, you know, like, as I told you before, every story or every poem you write, it must have a soul. And if the story or the poem doesn't have a soul, then to me that's not a story or that's not a poem. Because, you know, you need to enjoy the poem. And that's why, you know, every poem I write or every story I write, it must have a soul so, you know, you can feel relate to it. And that's why, you know, yes. it's hard for me because, you know, like I can easily, as I said, like write your story right now and show it to you. Then you're going to be like, mm, not so much. No, I don't like this one. No, maybe the other one. Oh, no. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, share. Well, please continue. I'm sorry.
1: No, that's no, okay. No, but it's like, you know, today I was meeting with one of the uh, book reviewers, you know, and, you know, she was telling me about, you know, like she's going, you know, and she's like planning to write a book. And, you know, that's my advice that I give to everyone because, you know, I need to work on it myself personally too. I was like, if you want to write a book about short stories, novels, or poetry book even, take your time. Do not rush. Because rushing, it's, you can miss so much important elements that you need to add to it, you know. Like many people think, okay, you know, I can write a book book like in you know, one day. Okay, great. You did it great. But take your time, my friend, you know. Please read it over it. You know, edit it as much as possible. You know, share it to the people who you trust. Don't make the poem more personal about yourself. Make the poem relate to others. Because don't forget the book you can write is gonna you it's gonna follow you the day until you know, I don't know where. But the the book is gonna represent you. And what you write is represent to people who you are. So don't write something that you're going to regret it when you're going to be like 40 60, you know, your kids going to come out to you and be like, oh, dad, that's what you, how you used to write, you know? So make it more meaningful and at the same time, you know, be a who you are. Don't ever, you know, hide it or share, you know, put it in the closet. No. Take it and publish it, you know? There's nothing harm, you know?
0: Yes. You know, when you read your next story, the, the caller reminded me, and this is a very good point, please share the page number as well because there might be others out there who are listening who are reading along, who'd like to read along. Oh, so please share the page number of the story as well, all right? All right, no problem. All right.
1: Please okay, share so, that story. Okay, so this one, this one's called Ala School Bag. It's on page 48. Ala was only twenty one years old when he committed to suicide. However, before the his fiddle days, when he was a child he managed to illegally travel to Greece on a boat with other people around his age. He brought with him nothing but his cool full of items he thought were important. He was running away from the bloody war back home and was the youngest person on in, in the boat. When they arrived, the police on the seashore arrested them. They did not speak the same language, so they bought a translator to help. The officer said, Hello, Sabah, Sabah, tell him. That we are the police and we are not going to hurt him unless he starts lying to us. Allah responded, Officer, I understand your language. Thanks, Mr. Sabah. I will not lie. I promise. The officer then asked, What did you learn? You agree, young man? I learned it from. Learned it because it was happy. It was. It was always my dream to travel here one day and i love languages Allah said where are your parents or siblings right now they all died from the bomb and i'm the only one survived left what do you have inside your school bag you can open it and see yourself officer the officer opened the bag and was shocked at the contents why do you have so many odd objects in your school bag and not clothes? Those are the only objects that reminded me of my family and my country. Why do you have a finger with a diamond ring in a plastic bag? That's what I was able to keep from my mother's remains. Why do you have a dead sponge? It was the last tree that my father planted before the war. Why do you have a pink cloth? That was from my the dress that my younger sister wore before she died. What do you have in this white bag? It's the soil from my grandparents' farm. Why do you have brown rope? Allah started crying. The officers decided to put him in the orphanage. He grew up in harsh conditions when he was 21. He was taken to the hospital after he was found wrong, sleeping on the same shore where he first arrived. After some tests, the doctors had no choice but to tell him that he had only a few days left to live. Allah had cancer from the effects of the, the many build bombings and hit the country. The cancer was slowly growing inside of his body. Allah opened his school bag and took the brown robe out and realized that he would never be able to go back home. He took his life before the cancer could.
0: You know, that's another powerful, powerful story You make the statement in your book that this book is for every civilian who was forced to close his, her, their eyes during the war of humans against humans and not humans against the wild nature. What does that mean? Well,
1: you know, like, because, you know, like, you know, the hardest part, you know, like, for kids or for anyone else, like, including, you know, like, you know, for I'm not talking about adults, but I'm talking for young adults or kids. You know, like, we all love to enjoy talking, talking, and, you know, playing. So when you tell them, okay, go sleep, nobody wants to sleep, why? Because, like, oh, it's too early. And then you tell them, no, it's 12 o'clock in the morning, you know, time to sleep. But all they want to sleep, nobody wants to close their eyes. So I noticed that from my younger brother or my, younger, my sister kids, you know, they have a hard time closing their eyes. So technically, you know, in the war, when it's the war, It's the opposite. You know, everybody must keep their eyes closed because nobody wants to see the war. Like, I was talking to my colleague from work the other day, and I said to her, you know, I said, my grandpa was telling me something. He said to me, it's like, whenever you're in the war, close your eyes. And if you cannot close your eyes, sing a song. Because when you sing a song, your mood's going to be changed, and you're going to be more stronger than you are when you close your eyes. Because, you know, sadly, most of those wars, are humans against humans, a brother against another brother, war against a father against his son. So it's not a war, you know, like human against, you know, like, you know, aliens or humans versus, you know,
0: like wild animals. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's so many questions that I want to ask. So many questions. So many questions. But I think what I'd like you to do is to share another story.
1: Sure, no problem. One, Okay, sorry for the late. No problem. Okay, so this story this story is like, okay, the, uh, the reason I'm going to read the story is, you know, this story is a bit like fiction, so it's not fully like on like, a good story. But I just want to, you know, like I love the, the reason why I'm sharing is because I love, you know, the language of the world that, you know, like so many people try to avoid from people who are disabled, like people who are mute or deaf or blind. So that's why I'm deciding to share the story it's called Blind Last Wish. It's on page 75. Before the war, Salah was a very sick old man. Salah lived his days after the war as blind. He lived in a cabin on a small, uh, small island with his daughter and son. His daughter, Salma, had always been to gadgets and electronics. Salma refused to marry anyone because she decided to take care of her blind father. Her brother did the same until he had no choice but to volunteer in the army to protect his family and his country. On the last night of Ramadan, death came to Salah and asked him if he was ready to walk with him upstairs to heaven. He would no longer be blind to an anything he did not get from the earth but Salah asked death if he could have one last wish instead he said he wanted to see what happened during the months he was he was in the war death accepted Salah's wish but Salah had to make someone else dream come true in order to then death would not send angels to take Salah to heaven Salah's bird was sent back to the island during the war. He decided to walk back home and saw his daughter playing tapes as he came in. Salah so remembered that he used to hear the tapes whenever he pretended when she, whenever, sorry, whenever she pretended that her brother was back home. He saw the hanging pictures of his son. With the small pictures of his grave, he realized that at that moment, that his nightmares of watching his son die on the front lines were true, were true and not a dream. He looked to see that his daughter was collecting tapes with voices of her dead brother, dead mothers or her bro- dead brother, and was crying for not recording her father's voice. She was hanging her father's photos. Above the posters of Disney princess and K-pop bands, he could not resist and decided to visit his friend Farid, the only taxi driver on the island. He got in his car and saw that he was sitting next to the, a girl, twenty-year-old, with her hands and mouth bound with black tape. Farid started driving with a smile. Salah used to think that Farid was a great was the greatest friend, but now his life's different. He found out that he was the one behind the mystery of killing and selling minors before and during the war. He went to the beach and watched the children play football. He smiled until he realized that those children were playing with the human head. Most of those children were wearing dog skin to cover their dead bodies, their bare bodies. It was a terrifying scene to watch as the game ended with the coach killed the weakest player in the game and fed his dogs with their body parts. Salah decided to go to the mosque to pray and find a solution with the mosque imam. As soon as he stepped inside, he saw a few men praying behind the imam. Salah did not sit in the corner and waited for the people to leave. As he started following the Imam to his office next to the prayer room, he saw him talking and helping other people with their problems. But soon that even the Imam allowed things to happen under the name of God. He saw him as a businessman who carelessly judged the lives of civilians and had connections with all the extremist groups inside and outside the island. But most of the shocking part was when he discovered that there was a new room built in the basement of the mosque where he allowed young men to hide their heavy weapons and blindfolded women from different religions. In a state of confusion and shock, he went outside and the mosque with no desire to go anywhere until he saw a homeless man trying to hang himself in the cemetery. He yelled at him, hoping to get his intention. Stop. Don't do it. Who said that and why are you here? The homeless man called. Can you see me clearly? Of course I can. No, let me take my own life away, please. First, can you please can you tell me why you want to take your life? I will do whatever you want, but do not take your life. You still have a lot to live for. You are the first first to talk with me. I have lost my wife. She died after trying to protect my three daughters from an extremist group. While I was at work, I assaulted them all mercilessly and kidnapped my daughters since my wife was too weak to walk with them. They slaughtered her. Nobody on the island did anything to protect her because everyone here has a similar story and nobody cares anymore. I lost my job and stole everything I owned to get my daughters back, but it has been months, and I'm still alone. I no longer want to live and be homeless. In the week week in the people I I started crying. I was blind from the beginning of the world, so I lived my life with lies. I was then in a coma for a month, now I'm back to make someone wish come true, Salah explained. Do you think you can help me to free my daughters from the horrible man? I believe it is the time to get revenge and clear out the island from the evil man. A passerby saw the homeless man hanging by a rope and talking to nobody. He screamed to him, Do it! This country is no longer beautiful as it was before as the homeless man took his life, Salah, saw that the pastor was a demon with the human flesh. Death came to Salah and said, you tried, but with revenge nothing will be
0: the resolved. The hmm. yeah. What do you think you've learned about yourself from writing this book of short stories? Well,
1: uh, that's a very good question, though. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I learned that, you know, because, you know, like as I said, you know, earlier, I had never shared my writing, like, you know, I only shared my poetry. But when yes. it comes to you know, writing stories, I never had, you know, like the confidence enough, you know, to go for it. And that's why, you know, I just want to say a big thank you to someone who actually gave me this confidence and, you know, helped me to edit this book and work on it. You know, it's my publisher, you know, like, thanks to her. You know, I am mean, you know, like, she did so much for me to help me with this book, you know, when it comes to editing and everything else, you know. I'm just going to say her name. Uh, sorry, I'm really bad with names. Yeah, sorry. It's Lori. Lori Noel. Lori Noel is a very... Amazing young woman that she actually gave me that confidence and allowed me to publish my book with her in publication, which is called Nabi mm-hmm. Publication that which is in Montreal. She's the one who actually like you know was one of the first people you know like to take my book when I sent her my script at the beginning, and she was like I love your stories and I believe like that you know they should be shared to us to public and people should know more about your country. And that's what I actually, you know, like, have the confidence, and plus, you know, other friends, you know, who supported me, and family members, you know, including yourself, you know, and that's why, you know, I'm happy for this book, because, you know, I remember, you know, you love this book, and you even wrote me something on the back of it, you know, if you don't want, mind, I can read sh- it now, because I really love what <laughs> you right. said. I'm a Dr. that Rice with an expressive power and a intensity, Is of the work, and his entity create a unique style that no one else can keep. So, yeah, thank you, Michael. That was your words. not yes. mine.
0: Yes. Well, uh, I, yeah, I believe we that.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't know if I told you that before, but I'm going to say that in public. You know, hopefully this book, I'm working, I'm actually right now doing part two, which is going to be published hopefully next year.
0: Oh, very nice. Very nice. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back.
1: Sure. No problem.
0: We are back. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Ahmad al Please share another story, please. Sure. Well, first, you know, like,
1: I just want to say that I wrote two small poems, which I'm going to share them quickly, because they're small poems. The first one called The Role. So this one is like five lines, so it goes here. I once played the role of a corpse upon myself in a close coffin on the Saurus theater. As I started aging alone until I found myself in Baghdad in a friendly grave. That's poem number one. That's another poem called Death ashes From the bottom of space, piece, I believe that I do not have a place to relieve in my private space new and conflicts and spite that day has turned into night where dead bodies left and right. So those two poems are wrote in the book, and now it's start with the story. Okay, sorry. Okay, so what I'm going to read is a story that happened back in the 80s about a father that, you know, I'm not going to say what happened to the father, but he actually did some kind of crime. As a result, you know, Saddam Hussein personally rewarded the father but then the father was, you know, something happened to him because the truth actually ha- showed up at the end. So I'll tell you, I'm going to read you the story. So this story title is Cops Washed Through Crime. It's on page 58. So here we go. Hamza was a 21-year-old soldier who decided to surprise his fa- ill father and his entire family by coming home for a short visit before going back to the battle grounds. He was not aware that his father was now in a wheelchair and could not longer walk. When Hamza walked home, everyone was overjoyed with his return, except his father, who thought his son was secretly running away from the war. After seeing that his father was in a wheelchair, Hamza was planning to offer to help pay for surgery so that that his father could walk again. He had borrowed some money from the other soldiers in the army. However, because his father believed everything that other people told him, Ja'far, a close friend of Hamza's father, was a manipulative man who worked as a gold digger, I sorry, a grave digger. He believed that by killing Hamza, he could protect Hamza's father, because it was illegal to escape from the military. On the third day back, Hamza asked his father to get ready to go to the hospital. But first, he was going to the cemetery to visit his grandparents' grave. As Hamza was at the grave, shepherd came up and it to him with him. Hamza, sorry, yeah, with him. Hamza's father came from behind and knocked Hamza in the head with a bottle, knocking him to the floor. He put Hamza on the well, on a chair and blind and blindfolded him. Shortly after, Hamza's father survived, arrived with a gun in his hand. Hamza was blindfolded and whispered whispered whispering verses of the holy book as he knew that he was going to be killed. But he did not know that that it would be by his father's doing. Hamza thought that he may be able to live. He offered Jafar the money that he borrowed from his army. Explained that it was to be it was to be for his father's surgery. Jafar was shocked by this news and tried to stop Hamza's father from shooting him as he he only wanted the money as they were arguing. Jafar tried to grab the gun and Hamza father shoot him. Then he he quickly shoot his son. Hamza father returned home as if nothing had happened. A few days later, Hamza father was rewarded by the leader because he killed his son whom decided to decided had to run away from the war. A few, few days later Hamza's father was murdered by Jafar boys, who stole the money and earned he earned nothing he earned from the leader. Hamza left the world with nothing but the cash he brought to his father. His mother would later use this money to help the family and his sisters. Hamza's father, body, and Jaffer were burned in the middle stone as they were murdered. As he spread quickly qu- quickly about the, his death, in the end, Jaffa boys moved to another country running away from their father's shame and greed. Years later, it was discovered that Hamza never actually ran away from the war, but was trying to help his father, to help his sick father. Instead, Hamza turned into a tragic tale. So yeah, uh, that, this story is like, you know, like said it you know, like mm-hmm. the father, the whole time he thought that his son ran away from the war so the father was more greedy he was like, because, you know, back in the war, you know, in the 80s you know, like, if a family member ran away from the war and, and the family kill him, his family actually killed him you know, the leader would actually reward them and so that's what happened, but, you know, when the truth, and the, actually the truth shows up that Hamza did not run away. He was actually taking some time off legally from the war, from the fight that time.
0: Wow. Yeah. You know, your work is very hard-hitting. It's brutal. It's real. It's honest. Mm-hmm. It's poignant. Oh, thank you. Touching. Can a person describe themselves? Or him or herself as being a writer if they don't feel strong emotions because your work is very is full of emotions can you be a writer if you don't feel emotions
1: well you know we don't express as a human them being you know you know as a human being you know you know we, we we must always have emotions you know and you know to have the title like okay an author or a poet me like i find that's a you know i need to work i still don't deserve it because i don't feel i still like feel like i'm not seeing that level yet where i can actually go in public and say hey people i'm around the or people i'm a poet you know i still like feel, mm. i'm still too new for this level and that's why people when they tell me oh are you a poet you know it makes me laugh because i'd be like no i'm kind of a new poet still like i'm not a fully <laughs> poet you know because i feel like in order to be a true poet you know, you, your work need to be dedicated, you need to be more recognized, you know. So when it comes to writing you know, with emotions, you need to have these emotions because, you know, the emotions add so much value to the story the poem you write because, you know, if you don't have that in your writing, then your story or your anything you're writing about become lifeless, you know. Because, you know, people always, you know, like, want to read something that can actually be like, oh, you know what, I've actually been through this. Yeah, I've seen a movie about this, you know. Because, you know, we're we're humans. We always have emotions. And, you know, it's important to share those emotions in your writing to make your story more honest and more
0: realistic to today's life, you know. Mm -hmm. What do you hope that readers get from encountering your short stories. What do you want them to get?
1: Well, you know because you know, many, you know, like I want them to feel like you know, because you know, like the whole idea of this world started in a very funny way. I know the book is not funny, but the story behind it, how it started, is funny. I'm sorry, I'm not. I know I'm not supposed to say it, but actually, I'm going to say it because it's actually funny. So it started. I remember talking to my friend in uh, Texas. You know. She was, you know, be, you know, she was having some issues with her boyfriend. And she was like, oh, I'm I'm so depressed today. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And she was like, my boyfriend didn't answer my phone calls today. And I was like, what happened? She was like, I don't think he's going to call me again. I think he's dating other girls. So I was laughing, but I didn't tell her I was laughing because, you know, I don't want to be that that killer, so-meaning friend that she had. But then I started thinking, I was like... This girl, she told me that she's very divisive because her boyfriend never would text her or call her for an entire day. What if I wrote stories about people who actually fell in love or felt or never felt in love about someone? What, is, what it feels like, you know, how to appreciate life? Because what I'm trying to say, the message behind this book is, if you live in the U.S. or Europe or anywhere in a privileged country, be grateful where you, where you come from. Because if you want to live in my country or if you want to see how it feels in my country, that's how it feels. So you see those people. And that's one of the reasons, you know, you said most of all the stories are sad. Why? Because the world never brings joy to people. Yes. The world brings sadness and grief to everyone. From the, You know, you know, like, you know, like, you know, feel, appreciate life, you know, like, be happy where you are. At least, like, the most important thing, you know, like. If you wake up one day and you see you can walk, you can touch, you can smell, you can eat without, like, you know, warning that, you know, your house will be bombed or, you know, you're not going to be able to go to work or you're not even going back home. You know, you know, Michael, let me tell you something. Back in the days when we had the war in my country, I remember, you know, my grandma, whenever my uncles leave the house, she would cry, and I was like, Grandma, why were you crying? She was like, I'm just worried that none of them will be back home safe. So when they will come back safe, it was like their birthday for my uncle, my grandma. You know, like whenever she sees one of my colleagues back home, she will, she does it like, as a, you know, their birthday. And that's why I always say, and everyone else does, I think most of the time, you know, I would say that the fact that you can walk, you can smell, you can do all those senses, and you can go back safe and nobody will attack you, nobody will, you know, you know, kill you, nobody will do any, any analytical thing to you. That day is your birthday because you made it. You know, <clears throat> even if you work hard, you feel like working is unfair, work is this, work is this, but at least you're making some good money. But if you work in my country, you know, there are some people who work for a whole, like 12 hours, 10 hours, or even more. At the end, how much are they going to get? $10. That's it. And believe me or not, $10 is not even the minimum wage in Canada anymore. So can you believe that? You know you, you know, you have a family to feed and you go and you work in construction or you work any job and you come back and you be like, hey, people have $10, you know. And $10 in Iraq is nothing. I can be very honest to you. $10, you can maybe buy like a bag of chips and a Coke and a bag of cigarettes. That's it, that's yes. all. You cannot, you know, take your family to a restaurant and be like, hey, people have $10. They're going to look at you, going to be like, oh, sorry. So, you know, like, you know, it's a totally different culture. So, you know, be grateful where you come from. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's what I want. That's what I always say. I said, if you want to know more about my country, read my poems or read my stories. That's the simplest what I can tell you. I even decided for the fact, you know, if people want to buy my book, all the money income that I'm going to make. I'm gonna give them to good calls. I'm not gonna like keep them for me. Why? Because I feel like good calls will bring me good results.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Very profound. Very nice. Very nice. Where can readers find your work, Ahmad?
1: Where the people can find my my book, my book?
0: Yes. Well,
1: you know, there's a website called Labid.ca which is my publisher website, is e a, -a, where you can actually find my book and my other colleagues, you know, my other author, amazing colleagues, you know, have published as well. You know, you can buy their books too if you're interested. Or you can find it on Amazon.com or .ca, you know.
0: How can readers stay in touch with you?
1: Well, you know, like I have my... Instagram, which is my name, Ahmed Al-Khatat, you will see it like with my picture, you know, or, you know, you will see the Bleeding Heart word, which is my ink name, and then you have my my Facebook, Ahmed Al-Khatat, with my same picture, I have my Instagram, it's on my Facebook. I'll be more happy to ask every, ask everyone if they're, you know, interested about my book, you know.
0: All right, very nice. So, what's next in the works for you? You're a poet. You're a short story writer. What's next for you? Well,
1: you know, like, hopefully, like, you know, like, I'm working on a novel.
0: And this novel, I
1: was thinking that it's going to be published by next year. I think it's going to take more than a year. (laughs) Because, you know, the novel I started writing last year. But it's a bit heavy because, you know, like, the novel, you know, it's longer. So, technically, when you write a novel, you need to have more time to focus on it. But someone who's like me, who's working full time, goes to school full-time, I don't think that could happen. So the novel is going to be happening maybe a year after, like in two years. So that's one. And then next year I'm going to publish my poetry book. I'm not going to say that title, I'm going to keep it as a surprise. But the, the book is going to be about my experiences with the racism that I had happened to me for the past from 9 until today. Oh, wow. so it's gonna be poems about you know like the situation of racism, how people you know treated me. So it's gonna be about stories that happened to me. So it's gonna be a more personal book. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, it's gonna be part two of Bird in the Flowers, with a different title. It's gonna be Bre-Brette Blood, feathers That's the title of the part two of Bird in the Flowers. going will be also short stories. That's gonna be
0: again sad
1: stories, but maybe less sad. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not going to say so much right. story, but it's going to be something like more bit of hopeful inside because this book, I can say like the, the hope was dead, but maybe I'm going to revive
0: hope. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you. We've reached the end of the program. I want to thank you for sharing your work with us tonight. You're one of my favorite guests of all time you welcome back any time to talk about your books, your poetry, your short stories. You've, you've always got a forum at Essential Listening Poetry Online Radio. Take care, my friend.
1: Well, thank you to you. Thank you for the uh, you know, audience, and thank you for the caller who called in. I'm so happy she made my
0: day, and
1: you made my day as well, <laughs> and everyone else who made my day. Thank you, guys.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. And on that note, everyone, please have a great week. And as I share every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.